Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Yes, once again, a good morning, a good afternoon, or a good evening to you, however you may be listening, and wherever you may be listening. This is the Total BS Podcast. Once again, we've done it on a Monday night. We did have plans to do it on Sunday, but through some minor miracle, a female agreed to go out on a date with me. So that had to be, you know, it's a miracle. It only happens one in a million years, so we had to postpone it. And then we had to postpone the date, so... We, so here we are on Monday the 16th. Matt, 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 let me sort you said. You said the Total BS podcast. Did I? Oh, shite. Yeah. Sorry, that's how... Just, that's... Uh, just, start, just, start, just tell Ross, right? Right, Ross, we start from here now. Sorry, that's how... That's just how... start again. Yeah, okay, sorry, that's how we introduced all the other ones previously. Right, okay. Oh, I thought I got rid of that. We haven't recorded that show in months. Right. Ross, we're recording from now. Yes. Okay. Yes, hello, a good morning, a good afternoon, or a good evening to you, uh, however you may be listening, and wherever you may be listening. This is the Man on the Post podcast. Once again, we're recording on a Monday. We did have plans to record it on a Sunday, but things happened. I somehow managed to get a date with a woman. You know, in that situation, minor miracles always come before the podcast. And then, through some inexplicable reason, she had to postpone, so we had to postpone. Yada, 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 here we are on Monday. And we record here on the Monday, uh, the Monday after Manchester City have won the title. Before I carry on, I just realised I've got to introduce our, our uh, panel for tonight. Um, we'll start off with making his glorious return after a sabbatical, shall we say, travelling Japan. And say hello to all the way from the Netherlands for James Rowe. James, how are you? Very well, thank you, fellas. Good evening. Good. How many uh, Shinsuke Nakamura, you know, the former Celtic player, how many statues were there in Japan? Because I assume there'd be one on every street corner. There are many, there are many statues in Japan. And uh, they, um, having walked past many streets and, uh, and discovered the city of Tokyo, amongst others, the, you can see that the, the, the World Cup fever is, is starting to... It's starting to be apparent where the uh, Japanese are fully behind their national team uh, for this summer's World Cup. Yeah, but how many of them are of Shensuke Nakamura? There's got to be at least 10, because he's the greatest yeah. Japanese footballer of all time. Yeah, no disrespect yeah. to Yunichi Inamoto. No, but Inamoto, having played for my club, you know, he had his, he had his moments, but um, yeah, it's, um, it's, um, it's, a, it's a wonderful, wonderful place, and I, uh, I, um, I recommend... Uh, people who love travelling to take the opportunity to go to Japan if the opportunity ever presents itself. You didn't catch a J League game by any chance, did you? Being the football no. football Easter that you are. No, I was looking to go to watch FC Tokyo, but I was so enamoured by the city of Tokyo that I just thought, no, I can't, I can't give this up and go to watch football for an hour and a half because it's just uh, with the districts such as Shibuya and Shinjuku and Harajuku. 
it's just a wonderful, wonderful place, and I wanted to uh, make the most out of it. And um, so I decided to um, not to go to the J League game, but um, there'll always be another time. Okay, and so from someone who goes for culture over football to someone who I'm sure is absolutely the other way around, it's our resident Leeds fan, or rather one of our resident Leeds fans, it's Colin. Colin, how are you today? Yeah, very well. Um, I mean, it it sounds great, you know, in, in Japan, uh, James. Um, but uh, I, can I say that today I went on a little bit of a, a travel myself. Um, and can I see your Tokyo and raise you Basildon? <laughs> um, so uh, there you go. Um, Tokyo, Bas Vegas. Bas Vegas, that is a new one. Yes. <laughs> that's, that's what we call it down here. <laughs> okay. okay. Fair enough. Right, okay, enough about um, luxurious travel locations within the Essex region. Um, And on to the main subjects of tonight. And I should say, for some disclosure, I am recording this whilst having uh, the traditional visual feast in the background. And tonight's visual feast is West Ham against Stoke City, what you could describe as a relegation six-pointer. Because I think if Stoke lose, then that's them completely out of it. And West Ham more or less safe. And if and if Stoke win, then they're still in with a chance and West Ham are still fighting out. So we'll see how that goes. But we go from the bottom of the table to the top of the table. And Man- as I mentioned earlier, Manchester City have been crowned champions. Eventually, it took them long enough. They've been, what, an 18-point gap for how long? <laughs> now it's now it's finally official. Now it suddenly counts. Um, obviously, a well done to them. I think everyone knows my views of uh, Pep Fraudiola. But we're not. We're going to sort of keep that to one side for now, and I'm just going to sort of kick off with this: Is this team the best team for one season? Because we always talk. Whenever we talk about the great sides, we always talk about sort of an era. It's always the Brazil side of the '70s, rather than just one particular World Cup. It's always the Chelsea of the Mourinho's first couple of years. It's always Manchester United of the late 90s, uh, Liverpool of the 80s, so on and so forth. So my question is, if you are just to have the starting eleven from Manchester City for this year and put them up against an eleven, you can make a pick of whichever one you decide, from any previous Premier League season, would this team come out as the best? And James, I'm going to start with you because I assume you're going to mention a certain undefeated team from 14 years ago. Yeah, but that when you're saying uh, 14 years ago, it just goes to show how long ago it actually was and uh, how, how time flies. Um, City fully deserve to win the title. They've done ever so well this season. I think they've took full, adva- full advantage of uh, many competitors dropping points, especially uh, when those competitors... Competitors played against teams in the lower regions of the Premier League and especially away from home, and I think they've just taken full advantage of it with uh, with making sure that they get the maximum three points and uh, with the creativity of the Blauner and Silva and uh, goalkeeper Edison also did very well, and um, yeah they are a good, they are a good side. But if you look at the um, the Chelsea of the early Mourinho era, Manchester United of two thousand and uh, 2008-2009 and, and the Invincibles, I think uh, I think Manchester City would come up uh, a little bit short if they was to hypothetically play against uh, teams of that quality. 
I'm just thinking because the only thing that's really, in, in my mind, has stopped people from um, officially crowning them and still having it as a debate is the fact that, you know, they mentioned you know, how many games they've won, the fact that they didn't drop points. But the two games that they've lost this year, the fact that they've lost two games, whereas the Invincibles, you know, I think Man City are on course to have more points than the Invincibles. But it's the fact that they lost no game. It's the fact that Arsenal lost no games throughout the year that sort of does. You know, if the four-three away to Liverpool had been a four-all draw, a three-all a draw, and if they'd have held on against Manchester United, their only other loss, you know, last weekend, then they'd be more highly. You know, it wouldn't be as much of a discussion. So, is it you know their win-loss record? The, is it the win-loss record that sort of dictates the greatness of a team? Or should it be the amount of points they get? And to an extent, the style that they play in as well? I, I think style is very important. I think, uh, But I, I think in, in this day and age, as, as we'll touch on later with, uh, with other subjects, you've got so many different people watching football now that one person would view the, uh, the points total to be decisive in, 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 that, in that opinion. Another one would have... Another person would view the um, the style of play. Uh, another one would view uh, an attacking nature. I mean, I saw on the BBC website today that uh, English game always grateful for Guardiola, according to Gary Lineker. But um, you know, obviously, with um, Lineker's ex Barcelona links and Guardiola's Barcelona links, I'm not surprised that Lineker says something like that. And uh, yeah, I think um, Guardiola has learnt an awful lot from last season, where he was quite naive in some cases. And um, it's just a um, to wrap up the title with five games to go is a good uh, is a is a good feat for Manchester City and and they'll be looking to push on next season. Yes, indeed they shout. Uh, as much as I expected James to mention the Invincibles, I expect Colin to mention the Leeds team of two thousand to two thousand and one would give the Manchester City this Manchester City team a game. Would they, Colin? No, they wouldn't. <laughs> as as great as they were, those younglings. Vaduka and you know Harry Kuehl and Lee Bowyer and Nigel Martin, they wouldn't give Man City a game. Are you sure? No, no, I don't think so. <laughs> um, I I think it's 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 a little bit easy. I think to sort of poke fun at champions. I'm not saying we're poking fun. We're not. But um, I think one of the reasons why we're sort of even questioning Manchester City is because. It's been quite apparent for, I don't know, add as many months in as you'd like, that they were going to win the league. Um, I think there's a question about how strong the league is. Um, so, but I mean, to be honest, what, what they've done is you can only beat what's out there. And in the league, OK, let's concentrate on the league. They have, right? Um, and some of the stuff they've done at times has just been sublime. And no one else has been able to match them. Um, so I think they're rightly champions. Um, but I do have sort of split thoughts on it. Um, because I can understand that there's probably a question about were they great champions? I mean, with with the uh, Invincibles of Arsenal, you know, that James mentioned, yeah, an amazing achievement, but also they were pushed all the way. 
um, they, they, they really had it tough. And against the backdrop of Chelsea, who won it last season, who've now dropped off, and Leicester, lest we forget, who won it the year before, um, you know, that's one argument. I think it's an unfair argument, but one argument to sort of tarnish Man, Man City's uh, achievements this year. But I, I don't think there's a, another team definitely in the Premier League, who, who wouldn't rather have their squad than the ones they've currently got. Um, so I I can't find any ways really to sort of, you know, throw a fly in the ointment for them. Um, Pep Guardiola's job, win the Premier League, it's no easy feat. He's done it. They've done it easy. Job done. So, I think there should be a lot of doffing of caps, um, not just to Pep Guardiola, but you know, and obviously the players, but just to the the, the team as an institution for for how they've got to where they are now. Yeah, and now you mentioned you know Pep Guardiola, it's job done, and I know we're strictly keeping this to sort of Premier League are they the greatest, but Pep. Man City have won the league before. I'm pretty sure it's been mentioned plenty of times in plenty of media outlets that he was brought in to win the Champions League, and he hasn't and he hasn't done that. So, taking the league the league aside, do you consider this to this season to be a failure for Manchester? Bearing in mind, you know, the League Cup it, these days is not considered a major trophy unless. You know, a, a big, a top six team doesn't consider it a major trophy, but like a team like Swansea City would when they went on their run. So take the League Cup aside, is just winning the league a success for Pep Guardiola and Man City, or do you think that the fact they haven't won the Champions League is going to haunt them to an extent? Um, I completely disagree with that statement. I, I think that, yes... Um, there's no question about them whatsoever in exactly the same way that whenever Chelsea Leicester or any of the of the other recent clubs who've won the Premier League but not won the Champions League then I, I don't see any difference whatsoever I, I don't see how there's some sort of special category that just because Manchester City are Manchester City and maybe there's a sort of financial bias coming in there. They've, they've bought a lot of good players. They're not the only ones, by the way. They're not the only ones at all. Um, that somehow their Premier League win is a little bit deflated because they haven't won the Champions League as well. Who's the last English team to win the Champions League? Off the top of my head, it was Chelsea. Chelsea. Yeah. Well, there you go. Are they the last team to have been proper champions in the Premier League because they managed to do the double? I I, I just think it's... Um, look, Liverpool did a good job on them. They did. But yeah, that, yeah, exactly. That was my next question. And I can't remember who was said nobody's able to match them. You could argue Liverpool were the only team to match them, and it 
it sort of brings me back to what Jose Mourinho said again uh, when Chelsea and Barcelona were having their couple of feuds uh, back during Mourinho's early days. You know, Barcelona never beat Jose Mourinho's Chelsea. Yeah, Barcelona never beat Jose Mourinho's Chelsea 11 on 11. And Jurgen Klopp has that exact argument against Manchester City. Is your guys never beat my guys 11 on 11. Right. Okay, but... Um, the, you know, Manchester are in a, a lose-lose situation here. What are they meant to do? Um, they've entered into a cup competition, which is a crapshoot. Um, we know that because... Let's not beat around a bush. Manchester City are a better team than Wigan. Wigan beat them. Yeah. They, they took the cup off them. Um, and fair play to Wigan. Um, I mean, I think, you know, just looking back onto the, uh, the, the second game between Manchester City and Liverpool, the first half, Liverpool were gone. Right, they were getting battered, right, and, and Manchester City were really showing their their talent there. Um, and obviously, Liverpool hung on and, and did the right thing, but there was there was nothing. There's still nothing there to inspire me personally that Liverpool now, having defeated Manchester City, have a better chance of winning the Champions League, the European Cup. Than Manchester City would. I still think that as a as a squad, Manchester City um, would have been more equipped to win it than Liverpool are. Um, that's just my thought, though, guys. Yeah, and so and you know we mentioned Liverpool. And I sort of because uh, we've mentioned on previous podcasts. You know we've said who's the most likely to challenge for Manchester City next year. But do we think that there will be a legitimate challenge for Manchester City next year? You know, it, we obviously, it, obviously they won't win it again next year with five games to go. Or, sure, or surely they can't. But do we think that it will be the exact same next year, or do we think there will be some cha- there will be some legitimate challenges? I think there will be legitimate challenges. I think all of the competitors at the top of the league will invest during the summer. But the interesting thing for me is who they buy and how they improve. And um, it's just, um, I think all of them will look to get stronger. In a World Cup year with players impressing in the World Cup, you'll see maybe names that are a bit less well-known, maybe um, being attracted by uh, the Premier League riches. But um, yeah, no two seasons are the same ever. There's always surprises. Look at Leicester when they when they won the league, uh, and they fully deserve to do that. They came from nowhere, and I think that there will be legitimate challenges next next season, and uh, it should be uh, should be an interesting season. Colin, Colin, Colin's gone. Uh, just take a pause. Ross, we're pausing here. Uh, where has Colin gone? Maybe he ran out of signal. James, are you still there? Yes, I'm still there, yes. Okay, right, so it's not me. So, okay. Uh, I'm just going to pause my thing and then we'll re 
pause my thing and then we'll recover when we get back. So, okay, oh, yeah. Ross. Okay, Ross, we're back. Um, Colin, your thoughts. Do you think that Man City are going to just run away with it again? Or do you think a team like Liverpool, like Arsenal, okay, maybe not Arsenal, Spurs, Man United are going to give them a serious, serious challenge next year? I think it's going to be more competitive. I, I really do. Um, I think that um, money's rife in the Premier League. I, I expect Manchester United to spend big. Um, but maybe people are going to take a little bit of comfort in what Leicester, um, sorry, Leicester, in what Liverpool have done and just play them at their own game. Um, a little bit like when Manchester United were in their pomp. They don't like it up Um If you take a game to them, you can beat them. Um, but it's whether you're you know, willing to take that risk. Um, so for that reason, I think, yes, it's going to be closer. Um, but it's difficult because the thing is, coming into this season... Everybody would have probably said, well, you know, Chelsea, do you know what I mean? They're looking good, you know, and everything. And then they completely fell apart. So I'm not saying Manchester City are going to do that, and I don't think they will. But I think everybody now knows the level Manchester City are at. And there is an opportunity to get them. Unless something else happens, which I think is creeping into the Premier League, which is the clubs with money. And I can't remember who quoted this. I think it might have been you, Matthew, um, on Twitter about uh, Wilfried Zaha um, potentially being tapped up by City. Is that I fear we could end up in a situation where rich clubs will just buy players not necessarily to play them but if you've got them no one else can have them um, so if that happens then yeah you know you can expect uh, City to be a strong strong power but yeah I think it'll be closer but yeah. you still put City as favourites yeah yeah, yeah. Yes. So my point that I saw that I quoted on Twitter wasn't you no know, because it was talking about Wilfred Zaha, you know, going for forty million to Manchester City. My more point of that was, and this is where my sort of quote unquote fraudiola claims come into it, which has been ridiculed on the WhatsApp. Some some might say quite rightly, but is that Pep Guardiola is regarded as the best coach in the world? Is he not? Be- best coach in the world. And you have to spend forty million to find the winger that you want. It, it sort of it was epitomised when he wanted to sign Riyad Mahrez in January, and they kept driving you know sixty million, seventy million, eighty million. And it, all I could think of was, what is Riyad Mahrez? He's a he's a left footed winger slash number ten. That's what Patrick Roberts is, and you've currently got him on loan at Celtic. Why spend that money? when apparently the best coach in the world, coach him up. You have him. You don't have to spend the money. You have him in your system. Why don't you do that? 
It's the same with Wilfred Zaha. I don't believe that Man City, in their academy, in their quite fabulous academy, with that you know academy, that academy stadium, and that whole complex, you know, don't have a winger in their ranks. They have to have a winger. So why can't the best coach in the world say, right, this winger, John Smith, whatever his name is, you know, come train with us. I'm going to make you a Premier League winger. That that was that was more my point. Not you know taking players away from clubs for the sake of taking players away from clubs. That it was my whole point of he's the coach. Surely it's his job to coach players up rather than just buy the best. I think if you look at other Premier League managers as well, if lower down in the league, the riches in the Premier League to stay in the Premier League. Many, many managers don't want to take a chance on a young player because if they don't pick up enough points and a club gets relegated or if they don't, they go on a bad losing run, they'll end up getting sacked. And in some cases, I think they're, um, I think they're afraid. I think they're afraid to give uh, young players a chance and uh, they're only looking out, in some cases, for their own interests. If I compare that to the Netherlands, what happens here... It's quite regular and that happens quite a lot that young players are are trusted from a young age by young managers where they will look in their academy, they will look in their reserve team, they will look to see uh, what players they have at their disposal. I, as I said, I spoke to uh, Venlo manager Molly Stein back in August and he told me that when he arrived at Venlo, there were characters in that club that he didn't really see as conducive to getting promotion. And he had to dispose of them and he invested in very young players that were very eager and wanted to fight and wanted to show their worth. And now they're, um, they've com- comfortably survived in their uh, first season back in the uh, in Eredivisie in four years. And um, I think it's just a, a sad indictment of, um, of some British managers and, 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 and general Premier League managers in uh, uh, general Premier League managers um, in general, really. But I do... I agree with you on, on Guardiola. He, why not take a chance on Patrick Roberts? Why not look to see if you can get the best out of him? But I think with the riches that Manchester City have, I think he's just. Um, I think those riches are at his disposal. Uh, he's on an awful. He's on a massive contract as a manager, and um, you know I, I don't know if he'll be at City long term. You know if Barcelona come calling again, he may well return. Um, or going to another league, for example, and um, yeah, you just you just never know. I think it, I think it's just too easy for Guardiola to to delve into that purse rather than have the fire and the fight to want to show that I've got a young boy in the academy and I'm going to bring him on to the best of uh, his ability and my ability. Completely agree, James. I think you've hit the nail right on the head. There is that it's a it's a little bit like. Um, my washing machine's playing up a little bit. Do I fix it? Or do I stick with what I've got? Or do I just chuck it in the bin and just buy a new one? It's, it's going to be expensive, but if you've got the money, then that's what you do. I mean, it's it's rife in the Premier League as well, and it's, it's quite disgraceful because it's hurting young players. But, you know, Manchester United got rid of Pogba. Um, Chelsea with De Bruyne. Um, how many players who've been Sa- Salah was at Chelsea? Was he not? Yeah. Um, Lukaku, yeah. Matic. There's a yeah. there's a list of them. 
players thrown on the scrap heap because they're not good enough or, you know, a.k.a., you know, we can get better players right now, um, you know, because money's no object. So there's actually no driver, I don't think, for, for like, top managers, whether it be, you know, in the Bundesliga or La Liga or the Premier League where money's flowing to actually bother to, to um, you know, work with young players and, and promote them through. What, what's, what, what's the gain in that? Because they're probably going to get the sack after about two years. What's the average life of a Premier League manager or a top league manager? Two years, three years, four years? 18 months, I think, is the official statistic. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, not a, it's not a long time at all, is it, really? No. But you... You would you would think as we were speaking um, before the pod started, you know, all football fans in whatever job they do, whether they work in a warehouse or whether they work in a shop or uh, an accountant or whatever, outside looking in, we all think that if we were in responsible positions in appointing a manager, that a normal person would go about their business in a sensible way and try to make the right choice and not necessarily always look at the same names of managers that have failed, got sacked, and then reinstated in another job in a couple of months' time. Why not look lower down? I mean, here in the Netherlands, for example, the majority of top-flight managers, all of them have experience as an assistant at a top-flight club before they went on their own. For example, Molly Stein was an assistant at... um, at Arden Den Haag and the current I said manager John van der Brom. So it's here, here there's a lot more emphasis on uh, on theory and training, and I think the Premier League could um, could learn a lot from that. But it's just such a worldwide product where everybody knows the names of all the players and all the managers and all the teams and everything. Whereas in other leagues, that's that's not really the case. You really need to know your onions to to know about other stuff. But um, yeah, unfortunately, that's just the way it is at the moment. Yeah, yeah, and I just sort of want to wrap up this whole, you know, going going back slightly with the whole giving youngsters a go. I'm privileged, and I, I will say the word privileged, to be in a situation where I've seen Ryan Sessegnon over the last 18 months or so just blossom into a great... And why was that? Because he was given a go. We could easily have gotten a, a winger from a Premier League club, you know, some 20-year-old who needed developing to give a go. No, Slavisi Kanovic said, this little left back here, I reckon there's a left winger in him. I'm going to give him a go. And as we saw last year, he took... Best example is at St. James's Park against Newcastle. Go and watch that game. That was a fantastic performance from a 16-year-old. And then he's gone and swept up five awards at the, uh, at the Football League Awards last night. You know, you have young players, give them a go. And it's the same message I'll say to Pep Guardiola. Now the title is wrapped up, and assuming things go to form, um, I think it's nine. They're nine points away, so three wins away from Matt from breaking the all-time points record. With those last two games, give the academy kids a go. Give Phil Foden a run out. Give him ninety minutes in the Premier League. If he can't do it, then fine. But don't instantly say. I'm going to buy someone just because you can't make it. If 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 you've given him given him a go first, 
and he can't make it, then that's fine. He's he's not up to that level. That's absolutely fine. There are some managers who are you know, who are fine championship managers but won't be Premier League managers. Fine Premier League managers who won't be international. Everyone has a level. So you've got to find it somehow rather than not giving them a go in the first place. Now, uh, just as a counter-argument to that, though, Matthew, yes. is that as a result of Ryan Sessignon, rightly, you know, being given a chance and he's proven himself as... Arguably the best player in a championship, right? Um, you know what, you know what the outcome's going to be, don't you? He's going to get sold. You won't have him next season. Yep. I, I, well, unless we're in the Premier League, that's really the only thing that will that will mm. keep him here. It's 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 a long shot, I'll admit. But as as I said to James off the pod uh, uh, in the break, you know he's in the Premier League next year. It's just a case of which club. And if we go, if we go up, then I think there's a there's a fighting chance we'll keep him. But anyway, uh, oh yeah, no, carry yeah. on, carry on, carry on. But that, that that's that's just, that, but that's the problem, isn't it? You know, if you show your well, well potentially, if you show your talent too early, you, you know, then is it a good thing? Because I mean, Fulham have obviously got this great talent, and then now someone's going to swoop in and go. Right, well, I don't know, 40 million, 60 million, whatever. Do you know what I mean? Just take him off your hands. You can't turn that money down. And then all that development you've done with him and all the the, the love he has with the club, I'm sure, he, he, he can't turn down because all of a sudden his wages has tripled. No, he won't. And, and quite honestly, I'm fine with that because because we're at a different level. Is we are a selling and de- a developing and selling club. You know, if we sell Ryan Sessegnon for say 40, 50, 60 million, that pays for everything that our academy has probably done in our entire history in one swoop. So that's fine. But it's it's more a point of the the big clubs, who, you know. That's that they're in a they're in a different level. Like I will give Arsene Wenger some level of credit. What did he do at the weekend? What's it, an eighteen-year-old Joe Willock? He Joe gave Willock. him a, he gave him a go in the Premier League. But he knows, you know, stuff what's happening in the Premier League. Everything's all in the Europa League. So while I'm here, this eighteen-year-old, I'm going to give him a go. Did he did he do well? I don't know. I didn't watch the full game, but he he gave he gave it a go. It so. He's so he's they're at a different level. If Joe Willock say, you know, can't make it, then he'll go out on loan. But you don't know until you try, basically. If I can just make one final point about this, go for it. Here, here in the Netherlands, when young players move to other clubs, um, clubs are required to pay the, um, the club compensation for the uh, for the amount of money that the the club selling if you like has um, has spent to train that player up from their youth academy from a very very young age until the current day like for example here in the Netherlands most young players when they are in reserve teams at the age of uh, 16 and 17 when they turn 18 Years of age, they're obliged to um, to go forward to a to a first team squad. Uh, I've spoken to many players that that um, have, uh, in some cases, I uh, spoke to a current Plymouth goalkeeper Robert Toluca, and uh, he was at uh, 
he was um, he was in the Netherlands and he had the opportunity to um, to move uh, to move forward. But uh, um, Utrecht uh, were, didn't really see much of a, a future for him, so he took the opportunity to go to um, to Werder Bremen. But uh, Utrecht uh, made it quite clear about the um, the money they'd spent on training him up, and uh, Werder Bremen tried to get out of the agreement and, uh, and basically sacked him. And uh, you, you can read more of the you can read more of the story when uh, the interview is published in the next couple of weeks on World Football Index. But uh, some clubs can be quite benign and, so, and quite quite cruel in some respects. And whereas here, at youth level, it's all about protecting the young player, and so that so that they don't completely fall away. And uh, yeah, I think the Premier League can learn an awful lot because I, I, you know everybody likes to see young young homegrown players come through. I mean, I've been an Arsenal fan, as the pod, people listeners in the pod know, for around thirty years. And um, our youth policy used to be absolutely fantastic, and I, it's a shadow of its former self now. You, you, I could give you a list of um, a list as long as your arm of players that ne- didn't necessarily break through, but went on to become seasons pros in the Premier League. And what's coming through at Arsenal now is quite um, worrying, really, in comparison to what's come before. Yeah, and on just on that point, Matthew and and James, I think this is a good talking point, perhaps, for another episode about how do we protect young talent. And I'm not talking about it's only English talent in the English Premier League and things like that, but you know, something as crazy as well, I don't think it's crazy, is that if a player plays a certain amount of games, then by default, let's say Chelsea buy Cessignon, there's a hundred million pounds fee once they've played X amount of games in the Premier League for their new club. Um, which sounds sort of crackers, but I, I think there's some sort of room for argument there to, to sort of Poaching's always existed, but try and sort of sanitise it a bit. Maybe I'm a bit old-fashioned, chaps. I'm not that old. But I'm convinced, especially with young players, not just in the Premier League, but in Europe in general, uh, I can understand that when you're linked with a big club at a young age, you know, the bright lights and the, and the temptation m- m- to, to go on to bigger and better things and to dream uh, what may become a reality. But I firmly believe that if a young player can stay, I mean, for example, we have at Ajax Matthias de Ligt, who at the age of um, 17 is, um, is uh, 18, sorry, is, um, is doing wonderful, wonderful things belying his years in terms of his talent. And he's been linked with Barcelona. And, uh, you know, the rumours are gathering pace that Matthias de Ligt will uh, sign for Barcelona in the summer at the age of, uh, the age of 18. And um, it's, um, I'm convinced that a young player... If they have the strength to say no at a very, very young age, if you carry on playing your trade, carry on playing well for a top European side in a, as a, at a young age, if you keep being consistent, that club will come back in for you. It's not just a case of, oh, I've got to, I've got to jump now because this train might never come again. If you are that good and that consistent, the club will be back in for you. And in the case of Matthijs de Ligt, I hope he spends at least another three seasons here in Amsterdam. 
Right, excellent. I think that's taken up. Just have a look at the clock. Forty about forty minutes worth of debates. That's an excellent. We got we managed to get two debates out of that. So well done, Man City. You gave us two topics to talk about. And now we move on to the third topic, as it would be. And once again, I uh, asked Colin to sort of introduce it because it was your idea uh, for the main part, and it's sort of commercialization and the money in football. So it was your idea. I'll let you. I'll let you start it off. Right. Okay. So um, yeah, I think I think you triggered everything, Matthew, by asking us about um, what's the sort of craziest bit of uh, memorabilia, not memorabilia, but um, club merchandise that you could possibly get hold of. Um, because there's a lot of it going around, um, you know, and we've got the half and half scarves and, and things like that. Um, and for me, I can see, I can see both sides. I am now, but I am, unlike James, I am old. I'm, I'm 40. Um, so I, I've got past the point of buying the shirts. Um, I'm not going to pay 45 quid for a Legionite shirt. Um, that changes every season. Um, and I've got past that point. But then when I go home, there's always something that pulls me in. And I'll, I'll walk away with a lead shirt for my six-year-old son. Not the Leeds lead shirt, but one just says Leeds on it. Do you know what I mean? Um, or, you know, when there were babies or whatever, a Leeds bib or something like that. Um, and I got sort of like caught into that, really. Um, and... Really, I just want to open the question about where does football lie with commercialism? Um, is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Um, obviously, we've got a lot of other nations now supporting Premier League clubs, things like that. More than ever, you know, people are supporting clubs that aren't from the area where they grew up in because we're so diverse and we move around a lot I know I have um, you know I've moved 200 miles away from my home uh, where the only team for me to support was Leeds um, and now I'm in Essex and I still support Leeds but then you know growing up and everything you know and when I go back um, there's a hell of a lot of Manchester United fans there as well Um which I'm not best pleased about, but um, is commercialisation of football a good thing or a bad thing? Commercialisation and, to an extent, globalisation as well, to an extent. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Um, I don't know, there's, there's sort of two sides to it, because as great as it is, is, you know, every, every single... To every, as you go down the table, even even to the championship, maybe not League One, but certainly Championship and Premier and Premier League, they will have their own sort of foreign supporters. There will there will undoubtedly be a Leeds Thailand 
uh, supporters group. Some 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 people in Thailand who, for some reason, probably because of their success in the Premier League multiple years ago, support Leeds. There's probably um, uh, an Australian Burnley, uh, probably a bit of a stretch, but Australian Burnley. So it gives the club sort of a greater profile around the world, you know, and to and that. That can only bring in more money, you know, because those fans are going to want to buy a shirt and a flag and, you know, one of those little signs that says, you know, Stevenage Road for Fulham or Elland Road or City of Manchester City, one of those little road signs, White Hart Lane, Highbury, the lot, to put above their door. So all that sort of thing, it gets money into, it gets money into the clubs. To an extent, I can't really see what the downside of it is, you know. Unless you're trying to say it's sort of it's a bubble that's going to burst at some point. All of a sudden, they're not going to. You know, all of a sudden, a mindset's going to appear that you know you have to support the a club. You can only support one club, and that one club can only be in the country you live in. Then all of a let, sudden, that money goes away. I can't really see what me, you're trying to say as, as a downside. Let Let me stop you there, Matthew. What do you see is right? with a half-and-half half scarf that says Leeds and Millwall on it. Right. 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 The guys are throwing bricks at each other, okay? And there's a fella, in his infinite wisdom, selling scarves for, like, eight quid or whatever with Leeds and Millwall on it. I mean, right. that's insane, isn't here's, it? Here's the thing. I'm a huge fan of the I'm a huge fan of the half and half scarf. Oh no! No, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I don't. Buy, I don't buy because here's the thing that I've always the argument I've always that has always been coming in. Why would you want something that? Uh, why would you want something that's of another team? And it's like I I have them as souvenirs as mementos. I have. I am looking right above my computer screen right now, a half-and-half half scarf of Fulham and Atletico Madrid from the Europa League final. I look to my left, and I've got one from Fulham and Wolfsburg in the Europa League quarterfinal. Yes, I have them yes. as mementos to say, because right, you're a, I was at the game. Right, I can, I can understand where you're coming from. You know, there are because some... you, you support a small club, right? Yes, to um, extent, yeah. James, to be fair, isn't going for uh, an Arsenal Stoke scarf here's the thing though here's the thing here's the thing thing. james won't james won't but james you don't have kids do you no but um i will uh i'll I'll jump in uh, hang on no 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 no, hang on do you plan to have kids do you have do you plan to have kids um at at this precise moment in time uh not entirely sure okay but say in in a theoretical world you have kids and you take them to their first ever arsenal game and it's arsenal versus west brom or versus millwall or whatever and they want a souvenir for their first ever game surely you're not going to say no to that no but um i believe a program will suffice okay here's the thing i and I've, I've heard that argument as well a program you can't wear that you can't take no. that somewhere. That's like a scarf. You can take that and wear it for the rest of your life. You can go to every single Arsenal game for the rest of your life with the Champions League final 2006 scarf round your neck. You can't really do that with a programme. And that's where my sort of 
defense of half and half I will admit there are some sort of sorry I'm really passionate about the subject there are some limits you know a Man United you know Leeds Millwall I will accept that's a tad far because of the history that goes on Cardiff Swansea I can understand you know that's not really the area you want to go for but half and half scarves as a principle as an idea I'm all for um, if I can just jump in there, Matt, you yep. mentioned about your uh, you mentioned about your scarves in your uh, above your laptop. In my bookcase next to my desk, where I'm speaking to you now, I have multiple binders of all my Arsenal programs through the years of watching my club play live in action. They go all the way back from when I was a child. For me, I'm a maybe a bit old fashioned. Uh, for me, a match day program is more than enough. Okay, you can't wear it, but you can always reflect and look back. And for me, I love to flick through a program, especially with the opposition section and the youth team section, to try to learn something that I don't know. Um, I attend Arsenal matches from Amsterdam and I sit um, next to the away fans. But these away fans tell me on a regular basis as I'm watching my team play football. They're singing in my ear, we support our local team. But they don't know where I've come from to watch my team. If you look at the people that attend matches now, El Clasico, which was once the most vicious viral match of the world, is now uh, the majority of people sitting in the Camp Nou or the Bernabeu are from Asia. If you compare that to Real Betis against Sevilla, if you're not from Sevilla, you have no business being there, really. None whatsoever. And I personally stopped uh, buying Arsenal shirts about 10 years ago. My, the only two Arsenal shirts that I now own and wear regularly are the replicas of the 1971 uh, season with Arsenal's traditional home and away colours. And the thickness of those shirts actually help with the games in the winter. But I think the commercialism in terms of um, people attending games now, um, naturally, it's, it's a global game. People can have their um, their opinions, and that's fine. But you, there was a tweet mm -hmm. that I saw earlier today where a man was holding up a half-and-half half scarf of MK Dons and Wimbledon. And I think that was just... Oh, oh. I, I, when, I saw, when I saw that, I retweeted it as a way of, of, of showing awareness. But I believe that for many, many football fans, people need to respect where rivalries come from and how they start. And I think a lot of people now, I remember being at a, an Arsenal match against Montpellier in the Champions League about six years ago. And uh, I was quite passionate and Arsenal was struggling and we ended up winning 2-0. And uh, I was tapped on the shoulder by the, this gentleman behind me who saw me going about my business in a passionate way. And he asked me how long I'd been an Arsenal supporter for. And I said, 23 years. And he, the look on his face was one of disbelief. Because I don't think he expected me to say that. And I asked him where he was from. And he said he was from Singapore. And then he asked me where I'm from. I said, well, I was born in North London. I said, but I now live in the Netherlands. So I've come all the way back from the Netherlands to watch my team play live. And, and there's people that come from longer distances than what I travel. And, you know, everybody uh, does the best they can with the budgets they have. But I think it, it can be a little bit dangerous going forward because you, you need um, clubs the identity of clubs and especially the supporters. I mean, I, I've been fortunate to have many 
uh, European nights watching Arsenal, and I love mixing with the opposition fans. Even if you can't necessarily communicate with them if they've come from afar or something, you find a way. And um, I just think it's looking for, going forward in the coming years. You know, that you, you would think that certain clubs, that their own local identity of supporters, it's, it's important to keep that. And um, it's, it's like a it's like a blood uh, bloodline going forward to future generations. And I think there's commercialism. We just have to uh, keep an eye on it and not try to not try to push it too much. I mean, if I look at uh, the quality of some of half the half and half scarves, some of them are not even the official emblems. They're just mm. like a like a cut like I, a cut. I reckon that that's that's probably licensing reasons. You know, they're only making eight pound a scarf. They can't afford a half a million pound lawsuit. For infringing no. on copyright. But I remember when I went to watch Arsenal in the Champions League in the group phase in 2002-2003. And uh, you had two group phases back then. And Arsenal were in a group with uh, Dortmund, Valencia and Auxerre. And in the next stage, Ajax, Roma and, uh, and Valencia. And uh, there were half and half scarves back then. And we're going back 15 years. But the quality in terms of the official emblem is um, appeared to be a lot higher back then than what it is now. Yeah, I, I, I have to come in here, and sorry, Matthew, I know you're a fan of this, and I should detract the statement saying Fulham are a small club. I didn't mean it like no, that. I'm, I really it, didn't. You're, talk, you're, talking, I, I, you're talking truth. You're talking truth. Don't worry about it. There's no, 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 no. I'm not talking truth, but what I'm saying is that there is not a cat in hell's chance, and I don't even know James that well. He's he's not going to buy an Arsenal Spurs half and half. Certainly not. For me, Scarf. It, Do you know what I mean? But, That's not going to... Sorry. Uh, for, for me, attending games, fellas, a program, match day program is more than enough for me. Yeah, that's fine. That's that's, exactly. a, that's a legitimate. That's a perfectly legitimate view to have. But what I'm saying is, is there is a market out there for half an hour. As I gave the example, there will be a, the next. When's the next North London derby? They both have both happened this year, haven't they? So it'll be who's so buying be, them? Pardon? Who's the, buying them? The, the, I guarantee someone will. Someone will because there is a kid out there who their first game is Arsenal Spurs, it just happens to be, and they will want a moment they will want a memento from that day and they will ask well, their parents. They, it's a, they, they they make them because they know someone will buy them. Well here's a, here's the thing, because for me as a, a Leeds fan, you know, if you want to buy a scarf, buy a Leeds scarf. Right? If you're going to a Leeds game or you're supporting Leeds in whether in the home end or the away end buy a Leeds scarf. If you're an Arsenal fan, buy an Arsenal scarf. If you're a Fulham fan, buy an Arsenal scarf. I have no problem whatsoever of, you know, walking past someone in um, Mallorca, you know, wearing a Stoke shirt. Do you know what I mean? Fair play to you, mate. Well done. And I think more fans should probably just, you know, put the money, well, not the money where the mouth is, but do you know what I mean? Stand up for what they believe in and just... If you're a Stoke fan, you're a Stoke fan. If you're a Fulham fan, you're a Fulham fan. There you go, mate. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but uh, just yeah, but as I've said, it's, love yourself. Uh, yeah, fine. Sorry, James, you wanted to come in. Um, so going back to the scarves, what um, Colin was just saying, the scarves with traditional colours 
that are sold in club shops, not necessarily with emblems on them, but the traditional colours of the club, I think they can look quite smart. And, um, you know, I just think with, with half and half, with, with Memento, something like that, I mean, for me, a, a match day programme has been a source of uh, my football um my football going uh, going to games for years and years and years. Even even when I'm not at specific games, if there's an opponent I want to know more about, I will specifically buy the program to hopefully learn something about the opponent that I didn't know before. And uh, you know, everybody's different, of course. But for me, uh, in terms of the match day experience program, is uh, is a ritual that will never will never go away for me. Yeah, like, like I said, that's perfectly that perfectly legitimate views to have. Is that in my mind? That's the way that you know I go to the NFL games every year. I'm a I'm a Steelers fan. I'm a diehard Steelers fan. You, you, know, you watch me whenever they play. You will know who I support. But I have the half and half scarves of every single NFL game at Wembley and Twickenham that I have been to. I've got one for every single game. It's not that I'm a fan of. The Patriots, the Cowboys, the Lions, the Jets, the whoever. It's just I use them as a memento. You know, if you want to have a program, that's fine. I'm just trying to make the argument that a scarf is fine as well. Oh, there's, uh, there's absolutely no problem with it. I mean, if, if that's your bag, then fair enough. You, you know, you're the captive market for the £8 scarf or whatever I don't, I don't know how much uh, half and half scarves are but that's that's fine um, but I guess it, it just opens the argument as to whether there's now becoming a broader and broader and broader range of you know supporting all teams I mean I, I don't know what to expect next. I mean, I'm a Formula One fan. Should I get a, a Mercedes Ferrari scarf? Well, strictly speaking, if we, if you want to carry the metaphor on, you'd have to have a 19 block scarf of every single team. Ferrari, Mercedes, De Renault have a team. I don't know Toro Rosso, Red Bull. I'm running out of teams now. But you'd have to have like a 10 block of no. It would be like 20 of every single driver. Just a picture of their face. Yeah, I, I also think it's a sign of sign of the times. You know, that um, with uh, with different commercial things that everybody can buy. I mean, for, for me, I'm an Arsenal fan. I've been a fan of the club for thirty years. I admire other foreign teams, but if they are playing against my team, then I want my team to win. I will keep an eye on certain teams that I've watched in the past that have. Um, that have made a good impression, but um, I, th I think it's just now very, very easy for lots of people to be a Barcelona fan, a Real Madrid fan, a, a Liverpool fan, for example, even a, a Bayern Munich fan. I mean, I, I don't have much interest in uh, in German football. I, I keep an eye on what's going on in the league, but um, you know, you see uh, the commercialism of Bayern Munich is just a complete. Uh, it's, a, it's a juggernaut, and a complete juggernaut. <laughs> Colin, just on the subject, I just want to bring, I just want to bring you back in on this, seeing as you're so anti-Skull. And sticking with the memento point, every European city that I've gone to in my life, I've got a scarf of the local team. So again, I can look. I've got my room is literally all scarves at this point. I can look, looking just to my uh, to my right. I've got an Ajax scarf, a Hajduk split, Sporting Lisbon, Sparta Prague, Zenit Saint Petersburg. 
LA Galaxy, Varfe Stuttgart, all the every single European city that I've been to, if they have a big name team, I get a scarf of that team. Is that acceptable in Collins' world? Yeah, please don't make me out to be a monster. I'm, I'm really trying not to be a monster, Matthew. Um, of course. I mean, if if your celebration is of, of getting, you know, scarves from major football clubs or NFL or whatever around the world, then then, then that's absolutely fantastic. My, my only concern is that, you know, I, I was a little bit upset, actually, for Fulham when you said you seem to take a little bit of respect in a, a Fulham Wolfsburg scarf or you know other games that he'd been involved in and and I think well do you know what bollocks to Wolfsburg you know if you're Fulham have a Fulham scarf do you know what I mean don't you know if, if, if Leeds play Real Madrid I wouldn't get a Leeds Real Madrid scarf do you know what I mean? I just have a lead scarf. Okay, I think you're pointing it down. I feel a little bit sad about that, really. Well, the only, I, I think the only reason I get it, again, it swings back to the whole. It's a memento. It's a souvenir of the thing. The only reason I have Fulham Wolves. That's fine. Is because that was the only game that I went to. That I went to both legs during our Europa League run. You know, I didn't get a Juventus one because I didn't go to Turin. I didn't get a Shakhtar Donetsk one because I didn't go to Ukraine. So that was the only reason I got Wolfs- Wolfsburg and the final because they were the only sort of major ones that I went to Wolfsburg, both legs, and I went to the final. That's, li- that's well, literally what No, 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 no. And again, it's, it's not an attack. Here's the thing. It's that, from my point of view, you're the sucker, aren't you? You're you're the captive market that we're talking about these half and half scarves, right? You're you're the scarf market, right? And you're the one who is helping to sort of make it grow, because as long as there's a market for it, and you're buying it all the time, then it's probably what a one quid scarf, and you're buying it for a eight quid or ten or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Yep, it's, it's, it's keeping the economy growing. That's what it is. Really? Well, it is. <laughs> yes, I, I agree. I, I agree. And I'm not saying it's a it's a wrong thing. Um, I just think half and half scarves aren't a scarf. They're half a scarf. Okay. Matt, okay, that, I... that's fair. That's fair. That, that's, more, that's more than a fair argument. Matt, can I... Do, I've just got one final question on the subject. Yeah. I've also, I've also been to Lisbon... What made you choose choose Sporting Lisbon over Benfica? I think they were just the first. I think they were just the first one I saw. I, think, I see. I, yeah, like uh, Hadrick Split. I, I think Split has two teams. Okay. So I, I just picked the first. I just picked the first one. So it's not a you know nothing against Benfica. It was just, I think it was just the no, first I, one I saw. I, no, I was just interested because I went on um, when I was in Lisbon. I went on a stadium tour of both clubs. And uh, I must say that they were both very impressive. And uh, but I, I, I uh, my, I've been a Benfica admirer for many, many years. I think it's a huge, huge, massive club with yeah. a wonderful stadium. So in terms of um, Lisbon, my uh, my preference goes to Benfica in that respect. That's fine. Right now, back onto the sort of what started this. And when I was on match reporting duty on uh, Saturday. Um, I popped into the club. Oh, there's another um, funny tradition that you're going to like, Colin. Um, every ground or every match that I now report on, 
because in my work as sports journalist, every game that I report on, I go to the club shop and I buy a pin badge of the of the home team to say I've reported at this stadium. So I've got a Saracens pin badge, I've got a Harlequins one, I've got now I've got a Charlton one. I need to go back and get like Newport County and Burn Albion and Cardiff and all that lot. Um, but whilst I was in the club shop, I found I saw a Charlton Athletic tape measure. And it was of all the things that you can buy, like I can understand the tie and the wallet and the sweatbands, I think, over there, and a mug. But just, it just struck me. How much of a fan do you have to be to say, no, I don't want one from B&Q with a insert name of tape measure brand. I don't know what they are. I want a Charlton one because I'm that much of a fan. I want, I want a tape measure with my club's badge on it. So that just brings me to... What is the weirdest you may you may possess it? Who knows? But what's the weirdest and one most wonderful item of club branded, uh, club branded item that you own or have seen? Uh, Colin, I'll kick off with you. What 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 do you do? You have a I know a Harry Kuehl bobblehead, something along those lines. <laughs> I have got um, a Nigel Martin, uh, sort of like two inch figure. Oh, those little um, soccer stars. Yeah, yeah, but it's it's like in a more professional way. Oh, okay. Um, producer Ross gave that to me for a, as a Christmas present, I believe, um, and it's still pride of place on my fireplace. Um, how, how many tape measures did you buy, Matthew? I didn't buy any, of course, because I don't because I don't buy things that are they're of another team, as we've established. Oh, you're not into DIY? No, no, oh, no. That's what men are invented for. That's 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 what the phone book is for. You know, I have a I have an issue with the plumbing. Get a plumber. I'm not a plumber. Let someone else do it. But no, I haven't got any. But that's that's uh, the weird that's the weird and wonderful thing. A two inch Nigel Martin. Well, the, the other thing as well, which is always tickle my fancy is that um i had a habit of uh at christmas time a family buying me a uh Leeds united calendar and this is during the battle days of ken bates and ultimately what always happened is that by the time you turned over the page for the new month that player had been sold yeah that's that it's, sacked it's become a you thing see? it's become a thing it's the curse of the christmas of the, it's a curse on calendar because i think in the past like uh i think philip coutinho was february for liverpool this year and i think going back fernando torres was february was february the year they sold him to chelsea and i think subsequently andy carroll was february when newcastle signed to liverpool it's become a curse it's, it's not just leeds it's a it's a global thing well, there, there you go. It's just like, you know, you you turn it over and you go, it's, it's on your office desk, and it's like, oof, that bastard's gone to Everton. They got, Do they, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's... That, the, that sort of thing. And clubs know it because it's a thing It's a thing I've picked up as well. Whenever they release the squad photo, though, at the start of the year, of the team lined up in three rows, look yeah. out for the players who are on the edge. Because they're the ones they're thinking of getting rid of. Because they're the ones that are easiest, easiest to crop out. Whenever they get released, just look for who's on the edge. It's just a little tip. James, what do you have? I'm, I, the Dutch are so. I'm. Su I'm assuming you have a pair of Ajax clogs. I assume you do. Don't have a pair of Ajax clogs, but, but they must sell them. They must sell them, surely. 
yeah, also sell them in slipper form, yeah. Yeah, of course they will. Yeah, also sell them in slipper form. No, uh, my two things are two soccer stars of my two favourite Arsenal players ever, which is Paul Merson and Dennis Bergkamp. They are also not very uh, not very tall, the soccer stars, but um, they're quite old from um, many, many years ago. But uh, they're my two favourite Arsenal players ever. So um, when they, when they, those soccer stars were released back in the day, I, uh, I spent my pocket money on it, and um, I've still got them to this day in the uh, in the same bookcases. I keep all my binders with my uh, current day Arsenal programs too. Okay, so those those are the things that you own. But what's the weirdest ones that you've actually seen? Like for me, I go, for Fulham, we always used to have. In fact, I still think we do. Mohamed Al Fayed, our former owner and enemy of the Daily Express. Or there's, I think we still have a garden gnome of Mohamed Al Fayed. And it's just so adorable to look at this little eight-inch thing waving a scarf, not a half and a half one, above his head. It's just funny to see. What we what what's the weird thing you've actually seen, not necessarily owned, James? No, I'd have to I'd have to think about that, Matt, and uh, give the um, answer on the next pod. I think to make sure that I give a good answer because I've been um, been fortunate enough to see many many games in. Uh, in uh, in benevolence and um, and uh, in England and in, in different countries as well whilst away on the holiday so I'd, I'd have to have a good uh, a good think about it I know think, think about I know it the, okay that's I, fine uh, I know I was in uh, Copenhagen watching FC Copenhagen against Neuseeland in 2014 I think it was um, there was like a, a very very strange Copenhagen teddy bear which stuck in my mind, but it was like a, it was like a more kind of like a um, Viking troll kind of fan in in the teddy bearish thing in the club shop. That's uh, something that I, I I remember. Okay, Colin, what have you seen that's maybe tickled your fancy, but you've never got round to buying? Um, I don't, I, I don't know really. Um, I'd i uh, quite like uh, putting a bid in for the Michael Jackson statue. Um, if you call that hanging around, speak to the National Football Museum. You never know. Give them enough of a donation, they might let you take it. Stick. Imagine that in the middle of my garden, um, the King of Pop. Stick it out the front. Oh. He'll keep people away on trick or treat. I tell you that. <laughs> right. I think that just about wraps that up. Um, no, we have one more thing to discuss, and it's a pretty important one. James, what's been happening in the Netherlands this week? I believe we've got uh, champions been crowned. We do. PSV Eindhoven have won their 24th Eredivisie title, beating Ajax 3-0 in Eindhoven. Uh, it's the second title in three years. It's fully deserved, um, especially given the disappointment that PSV had in the Euro- uh, Europa League qualifying rounds, where they were beating at home and away by Croatian side Osijek. Uh, that defeat, especially in Eindhoven at the end of July, really made people sit up and take notice as to what PSV could go on to achieve this season. But they've been so well drilled and it's been a real team effort, particularly their goalkeeper, Jeroen Sut, uh, Mexican striker, Hervin Lozano, has been, uh, been a revelation. 
and also uh, former Chelsea player Marco van Ginkel has had a tremendous season as well and uh, also um, Steven Bergwijn who's been very um, prevalent at youth level for the Netherlands has uh, had a fantastic breakout season with PSV and um, yeah, fully deserved their title win there's a midweek round of games this um, this week where I will go on Thursday to watch Ajax play at home to Faith of um, but it's all about the situation regarding FC Twente, where should Sparta Rotterdam win at home to Nuk Breda, and should Twente lose at home to um, Bexwala, then FC Twente will be relegated to the first division next season, which will be a, a massive shock considering only eight years ago they were Eredivisie champions themselves. Right, Fasa, and that's more or less all we have time for this week. Just a quick reminder of the rules for listening to this podcast, because there are rules, and we expect you to abide by them. Uh, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast through iTunes or through the Acast app, and listen out for Man on the Post Extra Time every week with Chris, Ryan, Jesse, and Justin. And, of course, you can find us on Twitter at Man on the Post. And now that's officially it. It's now time to wrap up and say goodbye. So, James, it's a goodbye. Uh, take care for yourself. Yes, goodbye everybody, till next time. Colin, goodbye to you. Goodbye everybody. Thanks for listening and good and it's a goodbye from me. Goodbye and always remember to have your man on the post. <laughs> <laughs>